This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart. We thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone that's come here, Lord, everyone that's writing exams this week. Thank you for your favor and your grace on us, Lord, as we humbly come to you and say, you are our God. With you, Lord, nothing is impossible. And we want to thank you, Lord, that as we, as we submit to your word, that we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads us into all truth. You're the one that grace us, Lord. You're the spirit of grace, of truth. And Lord, we especially pray, Father, for hardened hearts that will become soft in this place tonight. Thank you, Lord, that only you can turn our heart back to you. And Lord, as we come to not listen to mere knowledge, we don't just have come to sing nice songs. We've come to meet with the living God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are here. Thank you that through your spirit, you bring life and breath to every dead bone. And we bless you, Lord, that you have called us to live in a time like this, to represent you in the earth and to know you and to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, to be conformed to the image of your son. We say, Abba, Father, tonight, you are our father. We're not slaves. We're not orphans. We are children of the most high God. And we thank you that the blood of Jesus testifies and gives us boldness because of your righteousness to be called children of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So we, um, we're sort of uh, using a little bit of a picture. And the picture these couple of weeks is that of a passport. Okay, I've got a passport here. How many of you have got a passport? Not here, but somewhere. Okay, there's a lot of people here in church that come from Zambia and Zimbabwe and uh, maybe from the United Kingdom or from China or from, you know, the people in this church from Malaysia, from Nigeria. Can you believe it? The Lord also loves the people in Nigeria. But there's a lot of people from different places. Now, if you have a passport, I know most of you, you dread sitting in that queue waiting for this little booklet, and it's amazing, you know, the passport has got like a little picture on the one side, um, and with your nice face, it's always like 10 years younger, um, it looks like amazing, you think like, yeah, yeah, that's who I am, you know, and, um, and so <clears throat> it identifies you, it gives you access, it sort of firstly tells you, the first thing that a passport does, it says, I am a citizen of a specific country. And Paul writes and says, we are citizens of heaven. If you don't know that, if you're not a Christian yet tonight, if you are, you're a citizen of heaven. You're not a South African citizen first or a Zambian or a UK. You simply, you're a citizen of heaven. And that means you're just passing through. And that means you have a certain view, a certain way of doing life because you want to please God. God isn't here to please us. You know, the biggest uh, challenge we have in the West, especially our seeker-sensitive churches, where churches are built around the needs of people and not around the needs of God. This church exists for the glory of God, not primarily for your and my need or my well-being or my happiness, because we are here to serve Him. He's not here to serve us. And so, unfortunately, the prosperity gospel and the grace gospel, there's, there's so many things that says, hey, you're just okay, just go on with your life. But that's not what the gospel says. It says we're a citizen of heaven. And so, we all have a passport. One day when you get to heaven, that passport is called the righteousness, the identity of Christ. You cannot enter on your own merit, on your own strength, or your own performance, or because you're good, or you've done nice things, or even because you've went on missions. You simply can enter in on one basis because of the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. You've got born again and you said yes to Jesus. Unfortunately, just a lot of people are going to get to heaven with an empty passport. And they're going to say like, your Lord, I'm, I'm here. But you know, in this passport of mine, there's a couple of visas, you know, a visa. Some countries you need a specific visa. And I wish I had time to tell you some of the testimonies, but this, this is already a miracle just by looking at this passport because there's two visas in this passport that you will not get together of two different countries that hate each other and fight each other in the Middle East, and it's impossible. So what I did, I sent in the passport to get the visa. I said, Lord, please don't let them see the other visa, and they didn't. It came back with the right visa and with the other country's visa. So already there's some miracles just by looking at this piece of picture, you know, of this little visa 
of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Seven years it took to get this visa. But you know, when I get to heaven, I don't want to have an empty passport and just say like, yeah, yeah, because the purpose of the passport is not just for me to enter heaven. It's not just to get to another country. It means that I'm not a tourist. I'm representing somebody. And so we're going to talk a bit about the, that. And so we're starting off with this question, is there not a cause? Will you say that? Is there not a cause? It's a very prophetic picture of the church today, and especially in the West. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, this is David. David that became one of the greatest kings that ever lived under, except Jesus. You know, he had one of the greatest kingdoms that, was ever, that ever existed in the world. And so... David was looking after the sheep, and at a stage, Samuel the prophet came, and thank you for that yawn at the back. I appreciate it. Hallelujah. Okay, means you're very excited, and thank you for that yawn on that side, but hallelujah. So, great. I'm just interrupting myself. So, what happens is there's a lineup of sons, and Samuel comes to anoint the, the new king of Israel because Saul messed up a little bit, and we're going to talk about Saul as well. And so what happened is Samuel and the father, David's father, calls all the brothers. We know the story. And David is not even recognized among the brothers. He's out there in the field. He's not the first choice of the father. <laughs> He's not the first choice of the family. He's actually completely rejected. He doesn't even line up when the prophet comes to the house to say who's going to be the next king. And so we see this picture then where uh, Samuel the prophet stands and he says, like, where is, is there not another son? And here comes this little shorty. Hallelujah. Where's all the shorties in the house? Don't raise to, you know, hallelujah. There's place for shorties, you know. Um, <clears throat> I'm not including myself, you know. You must check how, how tall the angel is. But so, so here he stands and Samuel anoints him and says, you're going to be the king 14 years or 16 years later. He becomes the king. But what happens is we all know the story of David, Goliath. And so David comes onto the army, the battlefield, and there is his brothers, all those people that were lined up. And David is just coming to bring them some food. And the king Saul is hiding away. The whole nation is in fear. It is chaos. It is confusing. And Goliath, is, this big giant, is shouting all this stuff, intimidating the people of God, going on crazy. And this is the scene when David comes with his little food parcel. He's Mr. Delivery, okay? Uber Eats, here I come, you know? And so he walks up, and now he wants to just ask some questions. And the people, that was a joke, okay? The Uber Eats, I thought that was quite original, but in any case. So Eliab is his oldest brother. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Now, so David is beginning to speak to the guys there, and he says, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? It means like, hey, you're worthless. And, 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 and just, just go back to where you come from, you know. Just, you're just taking care of the sheep there. And now he comes straight into his heart. He attacks his heart, the accuser, you know. It's difficult when it's somebody so close to you like your own brother. And I think a lot of us sitting here can probably relate to some, of, some words people have spoken over you. And the words that make the most, that, that's the hardest and the toughest and that, that sort of in us the most, you know, is those that really love us or the people close to us. Huh? Would you agree? Somebody shouts from around the corner or across the street and say, oh, you're worthless, you're nothing. And then, you know, you say, bless you, bless you. But if it's somebody that's in your family and says, you're worthless, you're nothing, it's like, like a knife. It's like, it's like deep rejection, deep issues. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So the devil always wants you to focus on yourself. When he intimidates you, he comes to say like, yeah, 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 you know, you, you, you want to jump up for Jesus, but, but have you checked your own life? You, you're just worth nothing, and, and more than that, oh, you're so full of pride. Why would God ever use somebody like you? Because he always uses the pastor or the district leader or, or that person that, that has done all that great things for God. No, no, God uses people that would be foolish enough for him. That's why I so love meeting these people from Live Village. <laughs> the, that Uncle Tisha's wife said, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was talking together. And then God says like, 
Oh, who would we choose? Because nobody wants to go. And they said, well, let's choose that couple because they're foolish enough to go and do what I've called them to do. And look there, that massive city on a hill. He actually dreamt that he must build an orphanage that can have a thousand kids on a hill. He dreamt how it must look. And 10 years later, there's that orphanage. You see, God places a dream in our heart. But what happens is the accuser of the brethren come and he tells you like, eh, sort out your life. Yeah, you know. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Say that, is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. What have I done? Is there not a cause? And these people answered him as the first ones did. Talking about the cause of Christ. Talking about the cause of the kingdom tonight. There's a lot of people in the West that are fast asleep. And the world is waking over. It's walking over. It's, it's, it's like infiltrating the church. And because the church is so full of compromise, there's no saltiness. There's no, there's no power anymore. And if you compromise as a Christian and you want to just be like the world, do you know what? You cannot experience the power of God in your life. You won't. Because we're either going to please God or we're going to please people. And let's look at that. Woo, it's getting very quiet. Lock the doors. Okay, so thank you very much for your enthusiasm. So <clears throat> there's, there's this battle in our lives and there's the battle in the church, especially in the West. And that's the battle of the world versus the battle of the kingdom. And so let's first see in Matthew 6 verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Sometimes we, we stop by just saying, hey, seek the kingdom, seek the kingdom. I've, I've seen a lot of people that just are kingdom-minded, but they sort of miss the, the focus. It's the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because I can't do it in my own strength. There's a lot of people running around that say like, kingdom, kingdom, let's see the kingdom. But then it's all about you. It's all about me. It's about what we can do. But the kingdom goes with the righteousness of Jesus. The, the passport, you can't get into the country without the passport. <laughs> you, can't, you can't enter in unless you have the right clothes, the right identity. It's not in your own strength. And that's why we said over the past couple of weeks that we are nothing. And if you don't recognize before that, that your righteousness, which is called self-righteousness, cannot do anything, then you will be deceived because then you're going to think like you can make it. Your strength, your intellect, how many times you read the Bible. And that's why God asks surrender of us. He says, like, come and surrender to me. Come and, come and yield yourself. And we say, like, oh, Lord, I'm a control freak. It's a good place to start. So, Lord, help me to surrender control. Because we are trained to be individuals and independent. And we live independently in this world. But the, the Lord says, whatever we do, if that's your motto of your life, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek first a job. Don't seek first this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then he will add all the other things. So don't pray about, oh, Lord, you know, where, where are you going to, you know, I, I need a job. I need an engineering job. No, say, Lord, where do you need me for your kingdom to come? And he's going to give you a job there. Because, hey, he owns everything. God can give you a job anywhere. So Christians respond to where God calls us. And, you know, so many people, yeah, we have the passport. But why are you here? Why are you living? And you will never be fulfilled if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that righteousness is an intimate relationship with Him where you can stand in a right relationship before Him. You're, not, you, you're delivered, you're free, you're forgiven. You, you, you can stand and say, Lord, I know you. You know, that where Paul writes and he says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. It's the same word. It's the word yada in Hebrew, which means intimacy, which is the same word when a husband and a wife comes together in sexual intimacy. That's the same word that is used in Scripture for knowing God. It's not a religious experience. It's not a, like a form of godliness. It's not a Sunday thing you can do. Jesus is either Lord of your life, He's Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. You know, we sing Lord, but you know what it means if somebody's Lord of your life? It means He's got all rights, all titles over your life. You've given Him the title deeds. You've given Him your future. You've given Him your past. 
you, you've surrendered everything. You say, okay, Lord, I don't have a say anymore. You have died. When last did you see a dead corpse talking? There are too many dead Christians that are still alive. Yeah? And that's the battle. Part of that is our flesh. You know, we're all human and we struggle with things. And we've, we've seen over this lockdown and COVID that the worst of your flesh may have manifested. Anybody that can just, just do a half more, see if you agree with that. You think like, I'm not so spiritual as I ought to thought I was, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, and my family has got some problems, and part of it is me, you know. There's people getting very quiet in this place. So there's a, there's a, there's a battle in your life between the world, which is your flesh, and the kingdom. And we see this beautiful picture in the Old Testament between Saul and David in 2 Samuel 3 verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. We need to be spiritual Christians. We cannot be carnal Christians. There's a whole book, the book of Corinthians, which is the book of correction that was written to a group of Christians that were just so worldly. They were just so happy by doing worldly things. And he says, like, hey, no, get out of it. Have, have an eternal mindset. Don't just focus on the things of this world. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. That was a good place to say amen. So listen to the house of David, Acts 13, verse 21. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Don't call your son Kish. A man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up from them David as king. And to whom also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see, the, the people looked at all the other nations and said, we want a king. And then they went for the tallest, the most good looking guy, the strongest guy in the natural and they chose a king called Saul in the natural. And that is such a picture of the church in the West. We worship people, and I think like, and I'm going to make a joke now. The guy look as, looked as if he straight, walked straight out of the gym into the, onto the platform, and he did some pumps just to, to like people love him more. And I'm thinking, so much flesh. That was a joke, that was a joke. Okay, but so, because they're huge, they're huge, they're some of those people. So, <laughs> First Samuel 15, verse 22, 25. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You see, because a lot of people love bringing, and that's what religion does. Religion makes you to become a professional Christian. Religion makes you like, Hey, if I bring my sacrifice, you know, I, I, I pay money to the church, you know, and that's great. But, but everything is going to be from a distance. Because I do all my sacrifices. I bring my burnt offerings. As in the obeying the voice of the Lord, behold. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because what happened is the Saul got into a bit of a panic state. And Saul, King Saul, the great King Saul, whether it was with Goliath, Saul always reverted back to his own natural strength. And so he came into rebellion. He didn't do things the way God wanted him to do. And so God says, well, rebellion is like witchcraft, like burning these sacrifices to other gods and all that stuff. That's rebellion in our hearts. And there's a generation that is rebellious. We're training up children in our culture that is so rebellious, there's no fear of God. There is no reverence of who God is. So if God says to you, go and do that, then What? Oh, I'll pray about it for three years. So we've lost implicit obedience. And I've said it a couple of times. Please go and listen 
to some great leaders in the East and in the Middle East. Just for a while, stop listening to the American church. They're not on the forefront of what God is doing. Because if you go to Asia, I've told this story before. We met a guy in, um, in the Middle East. One night he was lying in his bed. Now listen, this is, this is the extreme of implicit obedience. So he's lying in his bed. He has a dream. He dreams that people are going to come to kill him with AK-47s. And as he wakes up, he hears a voice. He's on the third floor. The voice says to him, run and jump out of the window. No, no, that's my imagination. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah? And he does exactly that. He jumps out of his bed, runs, opens up the windows. And as he jumps out of the third floor, three people or four people run, in, has run into his room with AK-47s that started to shoot the whole room into pieces. And he jumps, falls down, doesn't break a leg. That's really a miracle. And he gets away. I would first like try to think like, oh, this duvet is so nice. I'm so comfortable right here, you know. <laughs> Lord, give me five other signs. And then boop, 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 there's your sign. But in any case, uh, <laughs> so some people are not laughing. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. Okay, so. Because we are getting serious tonight. Because there's some of us that need to repent of our self-seeking and our, our flesh that is so strong. Because God sees it in a different way. He says, hey, I've, I've given you an invitation to partner with you, to be obedient, to partake of my nature. It's not like God is putting a yoke on you that is going to be so heavy and he's so, such a spoil sport. There's some people here that think God is a spoil sport. And he's not. He's made you. And he knows what is best for you. You don't even know yourself. You don't even know how many hair you have on your head. And there's some people that has more and some that has less. And some that has little less than less. But so, hallelujah, you even don't know. There's not one of you that can stand up and say, I know how many hair I've got on my head. Come on. So God knows you better than what you know yourself. So you can trust him. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. But when we're rebellious and when we're stubborn, that stubbornness becomes like an idolatry. Because everything I do is just a, about myself. Me, the Trinity. I, me, and myself. I worship myself because me is more important than I. And myself competes with me because I, me, myself, are right in charge of this throne of my life. But that's destructive because you were never supposed to worship yourself. So the house of Saul started with humility, but then he refused to kill Amalek. He became disobedient. Then he began, and that now it started to grow because now he started to set up a monument for himself. And then the big one in 1 Samuel 15, 22, verse 25. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. God says, Saul, why did you do this? Why, why did you not? I, I gave you such an invitation. I, I, wanted, I wanted you to partake of what I have for you. He says, well, I fear the people more than what I feared or more than what I became obedient to you. I compromised. And the world is full of compromise. The only problem is the church is also full of compromise. And I'm not talking about doing stuff in your own strength because you can't do it in your own strength. But if you don't recognize the soul in you, if you don't submit that soul in you and say, Lord, in, in essence, there's a rebellion and I don't want to be obedient to you. I don't even know what it means because when my parents said to me to do something, I just always questioned and always rebelled and always throw tantrums. That's why scripture says, honor your parents. Why? Because in the concept of honoring is always obedience. Worship is obedience. There's part of our worship is always obedience. That's why God says, don't tell me you love me, but you don't do what I say. Because imagine I have this, or I told the story this morning, when you're in love, it's just amazing what you can do. You know, so I had this old white Toyota Taz. Do you know what a Toyota Taz is? 
these old ones. And, and so I wanted to impress my wife, Louise, so I decided, now we were not married yet, we were just dating, and I thought, like, I'm going to show her that I'm, I grew up on the farm, I know how to drive a car. So here behind Visenhof, there's like this watchtower there at the top, and we took that Daz. We drove through the dungeons, through the, it, I actually later discovered it was a 4x4 route. They closed the 4x4 route because the 4x4s could not go there, you know. But fortunately, we saw the oil lines running up because there was Land Rovers that went before us, you know, up onto the hill. So that's the way we took. And so I was determined to get to top, to the top to see the view. Yeah. We drove past the Land Rover, actually, they were standing on the side that couldn't go any further, but this Daz was going, you know, 6,000 revs. We were up there, get up onto top, and then showed the picnic and the view, and hallelujah. The proof came not many, many months later. It's called a ring. Okay, but in any case, so the most amazing thing is, you know, if you are determined, if you set your heart, But some of us fear the opinion of people too much in your life. And the same people that's going to put you on that pedestal, they're going to pluck you from that pedestal. Because next month they'll have another euro. Next year they'll have another euro. You know, one of my good friends, I was roommate with him. How many of you know who Kornay Krieger is? Raise your hand. Probably a third of people here. He was a Springbok rugby captain. If I ask that question in five years from now, nobody will know. Because the errors of today, it's just nobody's tomorrow. See, the world will destroy you. And the fear of man will do the same. So we cannot fear God and fear man at the same time. You're going to always choose one of the two. And this is what David had. David had this passion in his heart. So when he comes there, and now his brother, this is like the final thing. His own brother says, what are you doing here? You piece of nonsense. You piece of nothing. You are just, get back to where you come from. So it's the final accusation that this one throws. His own brother throws at him. What are you doing here? And then he, David doesn't say like, oh, you know, uh, I'm a worm. And he begins to sing worm songs. Worm, 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 worm. Some of us want to sing worm self-pity songs, you know. And David just goes into another gear. He says, is there not a cause? So he goes around and says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Why are you all afraid? Is there not a cause? Come on, is there not a cause? And he goes around the whole army. He says, is there not a cause? Why are you here? Is there not a cause? The cause of Christ. The cause of the kingdom. There's a massive giant shouting. The whole army is running away and standing there and shivering. And he says like, fear is going to kill you. Is there not a cause? And he goes like all over and he begins to like, and the people, and eventually Saul hears about it. He says, is there not a cause? Why are you here? Why are you standing here? Why are you af afraid of that uncircumcised Philistine? I'm not pointing to anybody on this side. Just say, like, oh. <laughs> and then he goes, we all know with those. Saul tries to put on his armor, tries to like, hey, do it in your own strength. And then, David says, no, it's too big for me. And then he takes those stones. But then he goes to the brook. He goes to his intimate place with God. And the one thing I would like to ask David when I get there, if you get there before me, ask him, what was that conversation about when you were standing at that little river? The whole army was trembling. Goliath was shouting. Massive intimidation. And all he does is he goes to pick up some stones. But not just one. He picked up enough stones for Goliath and all of his brothers. Did you know that? Because Goliath had a couple of brothers. He picked up enough for them as well. But I wonder what that conversation was. Lord, wow, you're so big. Lord, you're so majestic. Lord, it's about your name. And then when he runs against Goliath, we all know the story. He says, I don't come to you in my own strength. I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven, the Lord Chabower. And then it goes. And then he makes sure this Goliath is dead, deader, deadster. He cuts off his head, you know. He says, 
I'm going to kill you. <laughs> okay, that was also a joke. But in any case. So 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Listen to what Peter writes to the church. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. So Peter talks a lot about the last days. He says a lot of things. And, and, and Scripture, there's a lot of warning in Scripture, if you didn't know that. There's a lot of people say like, hey, be careful for this. Be careful for those people. Check out for those doctrines. Because deception and accusation is some of the biggest tools that the devil uses against the church. He wants to divide you. He wants you to be isolated. He wants you to just be involved with your little doctrines and be a hurt so that you're not accountable to anybody else. And that's why you have to belong to a local church that preaches the truth, that will love you enough to tell you the truth, and that will, hey, pick up your wounds and help you and walk through a process because we're not perfect. But we're living in the last days. If you haven't realized that we're living in the last of the last days. And I'm so excited because God is moving. He's not about to move. He is moving. The things that are happening. If you're checking what's happening in India, in China, the persecution levels has increased in the last two months like never before. People are locked up into jail because they're Christians. And they say, hey, whether we're locked up or not, we will worship God. Because why? We have an inheritance. We're not living for this world. We have a joy and a living hope that is so much bigger and greater than our circumstance. Because we don't determine our identity by our weekends away. And by the nice stuff that happens in our life. We have a joy. We have a hope that anchors our soul. We have a joy that is so great that we can rejoice always. That whether we're Paul and Silas in the prison, we can sing. And prison doors will open up. And we don't even see that the prison doors open up. And when the prison doors open up, do you know what we do? We first minister to the warden and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Before we run away. What an opportunity. It's just a group of people that live differently because why they said yes to the cause of Christ in their lives. And this is what this inheritance, and sometimes we forget this internal inheritance. There's a word, kleronomia, a settled and secure possession, a promised land. And this is what David saw. This is what so many people saw. They saw the promised land. Most of the fathers of faith never entered into the promised land, but they saw it spiritually. But we have been conditioned as the church, and I'm talking a bit loud because I'm just passionate. We are conditioned as the church to look at the temporal, to look at the worldly and think that is our inheritance, but it's not. And the devil is lying to you and he's conning the church and he's saying like, yeah, yeah, just settle for this, settle for what is because hey, blessings running over, pouring out. He's ready uh, to just bless you with your new Mercedes. Nothing wrong with driving a Mercedes. But you know, the thing has been made to drive 250 kilometers an hour, and we can only drive 120, otherwise you need to repent all day. There's conviction in this place right now. I, I see a vision of Langsburg, Beaufort West, Namibia roads, 200 plus. Okay, you can come and repent later. Okay, that's, mm, some people are looking at their friends and say like, you better be first in line, yeah? You know? You can't quote scripture out of context. That 60 means 60. It's not like, oh, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. So 60 is 600. It's the same. You know, we live with a life of abundance, you know? But listen to this, a secure possession. You have a promised land. You're a citizen of heaven. It's an imperishable, incorruptible. Firstly, God gives us a peace with no invading army can ravage or destroy. It doesn't matter what comes against you. There's a peace in your heart. There's a joy in your heart. There's a hope. Why? Because you have been saved by Christ. You're forgiven. You're set free. And if you lose the joy of your salvation, you're in trouble. Because now you're either going to look for experiences or you're going to look for intellectual knowledge. And that is not going to give you joy. The joy is in knowing Him. And that's why Scripture says rejoice always. 
No, no, just when it's nice, you know. No. Why? Because it's supernatural. God wants to release a supernatural joy and peace in your heart. It's imperishable. It's incorruptible. The second word that he says about that inheritance is, is it's indefilable. It's purity. It's holiness. You pursue God because this path, this highway of holiness that we're walking on, because we are saying there's eternal perspective. It's not like the world looks. Yeah, but you know what? You know, you, you are just too fundamental. You, you, you know, you, you obviously, like, you, you're just unconscious. It's grace. I'm just sleeping with my girlfriend. It's just grace. But you're messing up your marriage. Because it's not holy. It's not covenant. You want the benefits of that intimacy, but you don't want to take the responsibility. Because a covenant has a vow, has an oath, and a promise. If you just take the promise and you don't make the vow, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're not doing things God's way. And then you will end up watching porn in your marriage. And you will end up destroying your marriage. Why? Because you want it benefits quickly. But if we do things God's way and we're pure, you know. The other day, I married a couple that for the first time kissed each other. Oh, you're so conservative, you know. So I blushed all the way because this couple kissed themselves like they haven't kissed each other in three years because they didn't kiss each other in three years. And I thought like, <laughs> I was just staring and beginning to sing hymns and lullabies and all that stuff because they really went for it. You know? But in any case, so. <laughs> I even blushed behind my ears. But in any case, so. But you know, purity is so beautiful and that's what the devil wants to rob. He wants to. Abuse children when they're young, wants to sexually just do stuff with people out of the context of, of security and real intimacy and relationship. And then it becomes like you become infected. You actually get another virus, a spiritual virus that will destroy you. It's called spiritual cancer. And spiritual cancer is that it's, it's like cells in your body that have been designed to do something but begins to fight your body and you can't stop it because there's not purity and innocence god is raising up a generation that is holy and pure maybe you messed up but hey god wants to restore god wants to to give back but then repent do it the right way say god we want to follow you we want to do it your way Lady, if that guy says like, yo, well, you obviously don't love me if you don't go to bed, then kick him out of the door. We have big guys in this church that will come to your door. <laughs> and they have shotguns. <laughs> Shotgun. Okay. They will sort you out. Okay. Don't let people mess with your purity. Don't let people mess with your innocence. Because the devil wants to distort that. That's why the things that are not seen are so important. And then it's unfading. Can't rust. Can't get old. That's what I love about the gospel and the simplicity of Christ. If you preach the original gospel, like Reinhard Bunker says, you'll get the original results. But so many people want to change the gospel. So many people want to change God into their making or into their culture, but we can't. We'll just become part of history again. And the world will just wash over the church. But there is a church like a David, and that's the church that will stand in the last days because the Lord says he will restore the tabernacle of David. There's a people that just worship him. You know, when the Ark of the Covenant came back, David's wife was standing up there, and she was like, oh, you're the king. And he danced, took off his, his king robes, and he just started to dance before God because it was just like the presence of God is with us. God is here. And, and David was just this small little guy, but he was so passionate for God. So passionate for the things of God. He says, God, and the scripture says it, God says, I love this guy. He's a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. Because he's discovered the true riches of Christ. What an invitation. What a, what a moment for you to say we have an eternal inheritance. But you know, 
a lot of people will get to heaven and just say, well, I have a passport. I'm, I'm righteous. I'm forgiven. But they'll never discover the use of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Citizen of heaven also means that you're representing here on earth. You're an ambassador for Christ. You have this ability to bring the kingdom of God into people's lives. I can tell you so many stories. One day I was sitting here at a big rugby thing, and there was just a lot of guys sitting around me, some of them coaches of teams, provincial teams. And, and so now we're sitting here, and my friend, who's also a Christian, it's just the two of us that are Christian, because these guys are just drinking whiskey and brandy and going wild and we swear words, and it's just going crazy. So now we're all sitting. My friend invited me with, yeah, at... Um, this Valdivia estate. So now we're sitting there. Now the food comes and he says like, okay, see us. Will you pray? I say, Lord, bring it on. <laughs> so I put my hand on the shoulder of this guy, this national coach guy. And as I'm just saying, Lord, I thank you that you are here. The next moment this guy says, what? <laughs> in the prayer, in the prayer, he says, what did you just do? I said, I'm busy praying. He says, electricity went through my whole body. Now he's busy talking while everybody and all the other guys are just like pretending that their eyes are still closed. And they think like, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful repentance session. Because <laughs> I preached the whole gospel in that prayer. But you see, we, we become religious with God when it's just a form of godliness. We don't expect God actually to move. I've got two more stories. Are you ready? Uh, can I tell those two stories? Just raise your hand if it's still all right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, I can tell my story. So one day, one evening, I went to Tigerberg campus a couple of years ago. And... Um, I'm doing Bible school, so I'm, I'm teaching Bible school. I only have three sessions. I need to get through the teaching. And in the middle of the teaching, now the lecture rooms was like more like elevated, like almost like a bit of an auditorium. So there's about 40, 40 guys and ladies sitting, starting to be doctors in front of me, and they're all doing Bible school. And so in the middle of the session, the Holy Spirit says to me, stop. You need to pray for that guy. In the middle of the session sits this one guy. And I'm thinking like, Lord, you know, <clears throat> I have 30 minutes and I'm not going to get through all this stuff. So, Lord, um, I'll pray for him afterwards. And now this person says, no, pray for him right now. I'm thinking like, this is very awkward. But, Lord, I'm going to be obedient, implicitly obedient to you right now. So I said to him, hey, guy, what's your name? He says, Ruald. Ruald Lowe. So I call Ruald down, stands in front of me. I says, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to pray for you. So I take him, Ruald, Ruald was, I think, 21 years old. Take his hands, and the Lord gives me a picture. He says, the, these hands will go into cold places, but it will become a seed for many people to know my name. So I'm thinking, okay, bless you, go sit again. He goes, Ruald, he goes to sit. Next week, exactly the same happens again. And I'm thinking, this is so awkward, you know. <laughs> but Lord, I'm prepared to be a fool for you. So I call Roald down. I say, Roald, come. I want to pray for you again. The Lord says, don't pray anything else. Pray the same prayer. And I'm thinking like, awkward. <laughs> but in any case, let's do it. So I'm praying. That's Tuesday night. Friday morning, Roald Lowe died. I spoke to his mother and his father on the funeral. I didn't do the funeral, a, a more bit of a religious guy did the funeral. I could only do the closing prayer of the funeral. And so I spoke to his mom and his mom said, do you know this past two months, every morning, Ruald would come out of the room when he stayed with us over weekends. And he said, I so long for the return of Jesus. I don't know what, but I'm preparing my heart. He's going to come soon. And I'm living for that one moment. 
His mom said he prayed for people that got healed. He led so many people to the Lord. And the world low died. This isn't like a scary, I intimidate you with fear, but you don't know how long you're going to live. What are you living for? So here's the funeral there in Belleville. There's the whole DF Milan High School because he was a big leader there. All the teachers, everyone is there. And, and I'm saying it respectfully, but now he's sitting there in the funeral. And this other religious leader is talking the biggest nonsense ever. And I'm sitting there, I'm beginning to sweat. And I've got one prayer at the end. And I say, God, I don't know. But you gave me a picture. That he's going to go to cold places. I thought he's going to go to Canada or Iceland, you know. Doctor, go minister in Canada. You know, that's what my flesh and my mind said. I never expected him to die. I was shocked when I heard that he died. So here comes this religious leader that said lots of nonsense. Didn't even, I think, mention the name of Jesus really. Just said he, the world was a nice person and we think about you and comfort you. And I thought, no. He isn't that... His body died, that the one that I touched, but his life will become a seed. So I went, I said, okay. So I stood up, said, I thank you, Lord, that Roald didn't die in vain. That Roald's life is a seed for many to come to know you. And I want to thank you, Father, that as we conclude this funeral, that everyone in this place that doesn't know you will stand up right now. So I prayed a prayer, in a prayer, a salvation prayer, in the prayer. And they will stand up right now and they will pray after me. Lord Jesus, tonight, more than 400 people stood up. And in three minutes, the gospel works, Snoopy. The gospel works. Oh, man. The gospel works. 400 people stood up. I heard testimonies. One lady came. She went back to Namibia. She led her whole parents, her grandmother, the whole family to the Lord after that funeral. That dad became a pastor in Namibia. Big church today. So many seeds came from one guy. See, some people, their lives will become seeds. Some people will bear fruit. And see, we've lost focus as the church in the West because, hey, today, thousands of people, since this meeting started, more than 40 people died for the cause of Jesus Christ as martyrs. Every hour, 20 people die physically to be able to share the name of Christ. Christianity isn't fake. It's real. And he's alive. Because we're living for another inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's imperishable. It's unfading. Most of the disciples said, we want to be crucified upside down. Because we've seen we have another inheritance. And see, I don't want to arrive in heaven one day and say like, there is no obedience. There is no visas. There is no faith. You never put out your life for anything. And I'm using this as an example. I told the story this morning, Nepal. That's the second story, quickly. The Lord says, go to Nepal. It was a Hindu kingdom. Go and pray around the palace. There's the visa. You prayed for seven years. Don't give up on the dreams of God. Don't give up on what he told you. There was a civil war in Nepal. We booked our tickets, and then came the unbelieving believers, the Christians. Oh, you're crazy. You can never go. We booked it for specific, I think it was eight days. And they said, there's no way you wasted your money. About eight days or ten days before we got into Nepal, a ceasefire was called for ten days, which included the eight days of our trip. We got onto the plane, we flew into Nepal, we marched around that palace once every day. Said, God, establish a kingdom that cannot be shaken, your kingdom. 
Today, almost 20 years later, Neapol has got one of the fastest growing churches in the world. We heard three or four years later that there were a group of China that did the same. <laughs> and there were people from the East that did the same. I said, Lord, we want to be obedient to your call. Is there not a cause? Yeah. So once you've repented, you have your passport. You have entry into heaven. But what are you living for? What's that thing in your heart? And I'm not saying like now go to Nepal, everyone. But if you become an engineer, do it for Jesus. Do it because you want to create jobs. And then you preach the gospel to those people. Don't be a silent Christian. There isn't something like a silent Christian. You can't say, I love this girlfriend of mine, but you tell nobody about them, about her, not them, her. <laughs> That's a plural. It's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> but imagine I walk around and I say like, oh, you know, I have a girlfriend. I really love her, but I never talk about her. What's in my heart? What's my life? Then maybe I'm in a lustful relationship with her. But if I'm in love, I take that tag and I drive. I don't even look where I drive. I just look like, hey, Scotty. <laughs> we are going places. <laughs> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Is your light shining? So we're going to continue in this series on the cause of Christ. Is there not a cause? So I want you to stand with me tonight as we're going to pray. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.